Hello and welcome to our podcast, Dad Educates Daughter on 80s Music. This is episode five of series one. I'm Russell and this is my daughter, Rebecca. Hello. Hi, Dad. You okay? Yeah, you? Yeah, not bad, thank you. I can't believe, to be honest, we're on episode five. I know, it's gone so quick. Yeah. Crazy. I've learned so much already. So how did you find this week's? This week was an odd week. Yeah? Yeah. Without giving too much away, that's all I'm going to say. No? Okay, so let's talk music then. So last week, I gave you Madness, The Specials, and The Undertones. So what was your favourite song from each of those? So like I say, it was an odd week. It was hard, but I'll go straight in with it. Madness was It Must Be Love. And we had The Specials was Nelson Mandela and the undertones I went for my perfect cousin okay and how many number ones do you think you've listened to over the week between those three artists I'm gonna go with not many I want to say five because we've been going one two three four last week so I want to say five but I think I'm gonna go with three maybe four you'd be spot on with three yeah I didn't think there'd be that many. No. So when you say you don't think there's that many, did you not enjoy it this week? No, it was a difficult one this week. This week was nearly all misses, but I'll explain that later on. It was a difficult week. It took me a while to get into it, let's put it that way. Okay. But it weren't, it weren't a bad week. No. So two of the groups are known as Scar Music, S-K-A. What on earth is that? <laughs> so... It's hard to explain, if I'm honest, because I don't exactly know. It's like Caribbean reggae meets American jazz is how it's described. Okay. The two ska bands, I won't tell you who they are, but they're both influenced by a Prince Buster. And what is that? Or who is that? That's a person. So he's oh. I suppose, from <laughs> okay. the Caribbean and reggae is his background. And that's who they're both inspired for. And they've both actually had songs, not dedicated to him, but based on him. So Madness, their very first song, which was in 1979, was The Prince, because of his name being Prince Buster. A definite influence then. Yeah. And The Specials, their first song was Gangsters, which was a reworking of Al Capone by Prince Buster. So again, the influence for there. So as... I've just given away the two Scar bands were Madness and The Specials. You've had a now a totally different type of music from what you've been listening to up till now. It was one thing that I noticed. I was going to ask you, has there been a change in genre? Yeah. I did notice it is not the same as what I've been listening to and no. it weren't anything similar. So how we've gone from the synth pop and the electronic into the art rock and all that. That was a very slight change, so similar, but this has been completely different. So I think that's why it took me a bit longer to get into it, because of what I've been used to listening to, and it weren't what I expected. No, okay. And then just touching on the undertones, they're different. They're known as a punk glam rock. Then they became a more soul Motown in their final album. I'm not sure, though, from the songs you had, how many hits they had on the final album to know if you actually listened to any. I was going to say, none of them sound soul. No, I think you were more the early stuff. Yeah. When they were more popular from the punk glam rock. Yeah, that's what I'd go with based on what I've listened to. Yeah. So if we start then with Madness. Yeah, so I had to listen to these. I think you gave me like 21 songs from these. So they were obviously big. And I've heard of Madness, so I know they're big. You know, I said to you, when you tell me something, you go, can you name any songs? And I can't do it. As soon as you send me the list, I'm like, I know that one, I know that one. Because obviously we've got Our House and Baggy Trousers and House of Fun. They're ones that you do know. But weirdly, I think I know them mostly from like TV adverts rather than listening to it. I'm sure Madness have appeared on TV adverts. Don't know. Definitely Our House has, like, a chip advert or something. But as much as there's 21 songs, I managed to listen to Madness twice. And the second time that I listened to them, I got more into it. I was more like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling it now. But the first round of listening to it, when I was just driving to and from work, I didn't really feel anything from them, weren't that engaged. But the second time round, I was, like, bobbing my head, singing a little bit. 
and I got in with them then and was like, okay, I can see why these are so big and why I've been given them as such. One thing that I noticed was the instrumental of it, as much as that is something that I've stated in the past and I don't like, weirdly, I liked their instrumental bits. I think the songs are really fun and it just sounds like they're having a huge laugh. So I don't know whether the songs mean much. I tried to look into them and like thought, you know, like baggy trousers, thought about lyrics. Are they talking about their school days? Is Uncle Sam about America? Did they move to America? Because I'm guessing they're an English group. And then House of Fun, I thought, is this memories from childhood? You know, did they grow up in a house full of good memories? So I went down that route, but the main parts of their songs just sounded like they were in it for a bit of a laugh, had a good time, got these hits out of it. I mean, they couldn't have done too bad. And then again, I thought they were going down a different genre. They sounded so different to others that I'd listened to. And I thought they were a one of a kind sound because they didn't sound like anything. And you've got to remember, I listened to these before listening to the specials and the undertones. So I didn't think they sounded similar to anyone. And I thought, okay, this is something good. They're something different. They're bringing a bit of fun to the charts and they've got something that other people don't have. I watched a few videos just to have a feel of what they were like. And they all look like clones of each other. There's a lot of them in this band and they all look the same. They all wear the same. They are like clones, but they're very plain. Like their hair's not much. I mean, I think I saw someone with a bit of a longer hair looked a bit like a mullet, I don't know, like, but that was kind of a flash. A sunglasses part of their look? They seem to be always wearing sunglasses. So they had the hats, the sunglasses, DMs. Oh, I didn't notice DMs. Jeans. Yeah, just very casual. I mean, they do wear suit, but yeah, yes, yeah. They took that look, and I suppose, as you say, they were more of not a fun band, but I suppose they were enjoying it, what they were doing, and just were normal, I suppose, compared to, like, the new romantic, that side of it. They were just your ordinary people. Yeah, I wrote down they just looked like normal-looking guys, and I thought, did they grow up working class? I felt like I could relate to them. If I was in the 80s, probably could have hung out with them by the looks of them. Yeah. The only other thing I noticed about their videos was they seemed quite cheap compared to previous weeks. I don't know if that's like, obviously we say we're just getting into the videos. But then some of them had dress up, like war, which is also why I thought Uncle Sam was to do with moving to America, a bit of a war, just throwing things out there. So they were on the two-tone record label, but then they went over to Stiff record label. So I think they're both like, in the, well, I'll go into two-tone in a minute. They went over to Stiff, and I think that also is like an independent record label as well. So they wouldn't have had big budgets compared to obviously like Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet. I suppose even the likes of New Order and that probably had bigger budgets. So yeah, they, they would have had a smaller budget. Regarding the actual makeup of the group then, so you had Suggs, Graham McPherson is his real name is, he was the vocalist. Then you had Chris Foreman on guitar, Mike Barson was the keyboard piano player, he's the principal songwriter, Lee Thompson on saxophone, Dan Woodgate or Woody on drums and percussion, Mark Bedford on the bass guitar, and then you had Cathal Smythe or Chaz Smash on trumpet. So they were founded, they were actually originally the Invaders and then they changed their name to Madness and they were formed in 1976. And the original lead vocalist was a John Dickran Tulane who left after one gig and he's now an actor. I think he's been in a few films, but it's not someone I really know. And they brought in Suggs as then the lead singer. But he had been with them from the Invaders. He didn't take it seriously because they used to practice on a Saturday. But Suggs was also into football and would go and watch football on a Saturday. So he didn't always turn up and that. And I think he said he found out that he was like being replaced when he saw an advert in a Melody Maker or something like that. And it was Mark Barson's phone number. So um, he knew that he was being replaced. Oh, that's an odd way to... Well, I guess back then you wouldn't just be calling people up. That's the way that you find people. That's very weird. Yeah. But then obviously he then decided, as I say, they'd done one gig and then the other guy went to pursue other interests. It's Dick Cran. And then obviously Suggs went back and made a career out of it. Otherwise it could have been different. Yeah. So he eventually started taking it seriously then. Yeah, yeah. So as I say, they were formed in 76 as the Invaders and then somewhere, I suppose, they changed to Madness. And Suggs rejoined in the 1977. 
they come from the 70s then? Or did they only make it in the 80s? Well, no, no, no. As I said, The Prince was their first release in 1979, and that got to number 16. And then their first top 10 was also in 1979 with One Step Beyond. When I was looking for videos, I saw a lot of One Step Beyond. I had to keep checking. Is this one that I've got? And it weren't one that I've got, so I didn't listen to that one. Uh, I would definitely say go and listen to it. One Step Beyond is all they've pretty much seen. But the music's good now. But that got to number seven, and that's in 1979. They were literally just before the 80s, and then obviously they boomed in the actual 80s. But what year did they turn into madness? I'm not sure when they actually changed from the invaders. I think it would have been around 1976, 77. Okay. So they're from Camden, and they were doing the local pub, the Dublin Castle. And then obviously they went into mainstream via obviously record labels. And I suppose that when they were doing the pub circuit, they were the invaders and then they changed their name to Madness is what I'm guessing. I might be wrong. I don't know. But obviously they've always been known as Madness as far as their releases have come. They didn't release anything as the invaders. So they would have just been doing the pubs and clubs as it is. But the main pub they've done was the Dublin Castle in Camden. So Madness is pretty much there from all around Camden, so Kentish Town and what have you, all around there. And they just met up, formed the band and yeah. So they all friends then? Yes, yeah. Uh, oh, that's cool. No fall-ins out? Not that I'm aware of, no. They've pretty much stood the test of time as a, as a group and none of them have really, as far as I know, left or come back, as I say, other than uh, Suggs at the very beginning when he was more into football. Back then they would have been younger, so he obviously didn't take it seriously. They wanted to, so they brought in someone else and then he then took it seriously. So how many number ones do you think they've had? I want to say two. Okay, they've only had one number one. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm intrigued where the other two are then. Yeah. However... They have had 14 top 10s. Oh, okay. All right, I can understand that, especially because I know them more than the others this week as well. Yeah. So they've had more top 10s than both Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran. Wow. There you go. When you say it like that, but I didn't like these as much as Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran, but then I guess it's a whole different genre. Yeah. Of those 14 top 10s, 10 were top five, which again is more than Duran Duran, who I think were leading with nine. Yeah, wow. These aren't going down for me to guess. Ten's a bit too high for me to try and have a guess. (laughs) I will go through them. I can try and guess the number one. I was going to say, which one would you say was the number one? It's got to be one that I like. Let's go with Our House. Again, Our House. Okay, so I'm just going to go through it for now. So I gave you, was it 20, 21 songs have been a top 40 hit? 21. I think that's the most you've given me. I think that's similar to Duran Duran. I think you gave me like 22 for Duran Duran. Yeah. But then obviously of that, 14 of them have been in the top 10. And of which of that, 10 of them have been number five or in the top five. So, yeah. And as I say, that also before that, you would have had One Step Beyond also at number seven. And The Prince, also in the top 20 at number 16. So you've got the two from 1979. And I'd just like to point out as well, in 1999, Love Struck got to number 10. Oh, so they carried on then? So yeah, even in 1999, yeah, they were having hits all the way through. When did they stop? I'm not sure if they have. They are pretty much an institution in British music. And they are the only band to have played on the top of Buckingham Palace. Because they played for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. Wow. That wasn't that long ago, was it? No, no. And they also were at the opening of the London Olympics. So they get around. So, as I say, they are one of the biggest bands in the UK. I've just looked on Spotify. Their newest album, that's on Spotify. And we found out, I think it was Martha and the Muffins did have another album on Spotify. This might not be up to date, but on Spotify, their newest album was in 2016. So that wasn't that long ago, really. When you think that they started off in 1977, when they got all together, and their first hit was in 1979. That's 40 years so in the 80s, six albums. But they've not released a lot since the 80s. No, they are mainly from the 80s. And if you went to any, I mean, I, while we're searching this to remind me, to be honest, I watched uh, Tea in the Park 
Oh, yeah. And they were on that. And all the, the songs are pretty much what we're discussing. So it was the 80s songs is the main of their catalogue. There was a few that I thought, oh, I've not heard this or, you know, I didn't know it, which would have either, well, I'm guessing it would have been obviously after. But the majority of the songs are these, those ones that we're talking about. But then again, I guess, because these ones that we're talking about were the hits, they're in the top 40 in the 80s. Whereas now, because music has changed so much, and I was actually thinking the reason the 80s, like you can bring up all these 80s, they've got all these hits from like one artist, is because now music changes so quickly. You know, like even fashion changes so quickly nowadays. Like everything moves, there's always someone new coming in that people have to get in at the right time and release music and keep it. And unless you're someone big that no matter what music you release will hit in, you know, like your Ed Sheeran, your Adele's, your Beyonce, like, you know, like them, you're not really going to get in the charts nowadays. And I think that's why these have all stood and why back in the eighties, they've all had hits and they're all in there and they've all got this vast amount. But then if they do carry on, they're not going to probably hit in the charts now because the music changes so much, which is why I probably not heard. When you said 1999, I was like, oh, right, so I probably would have heard something else, but then it might not have been played on the charts when I was younger listening to them. Well, it was number 10. Oh, so it would have. But then again, I was only four in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that, in 2000, they actually received the Ivor Novello Award from the British Academy, which is the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers and Authors, for their outstanding song collection. So, and as I say, they are a institution as far as British music goes. And the fact that they have done both the London Olympics and the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, which are probably two of the biggest events in this country, just shows where they stand as far as, you know, I mean, Spandau Ballet, Duran Duran, Wham, Culture Club, none of those have done that. But then it's weird you saying them for, because they're the big four, yet Madness seems to be doing all of the things that they were probably wishing they could have done. Yet Madness weren't one of the big four. They weren't seen at the time. I mean, they were part of the two-tone side, so about having multicultural, so hence the reggae influence. But they did have a big skinhead following, so there was a bit of um, controversy over them. And I think that's partly why they were dropped from two-tone in the first place. Although there's nothing to link skinheads with racism, but I think that sort of was a bit of a controversy back then. There was never any issues from what I've read or looked at with regards to any concerts or anything silly like that. And, you know, it was just like their music and just happened to come from the, that community. But their music isn't, like, controversial. No, like no, Like I not say, I feel like Baggy Trousers was just them singing about their school memories, house full of fun, just, like, talking about their child. Like, do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, no, no. I agree with what you said at the beginning. You know, it's very happy sort of mm. lyrics and songs, you know, more jokey and, you know, driving my car, house of fun. Yeah, like, I think my favourite, It Must Be Love, I think that was the most deep, like, that was a nice chilled out, bit more romanticised. On that, that was the only song that isn't theirs. That's a cover. Oh, for God's sake. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, Labby Sifri had a hit with that in 1971 and got to number 14 and they covered it in 1981 and they got to number four with it. It was also used in the Tall Guy film starring Jeff Goldblum and Emma Thompson. So it was on the soundtrack. That was a cover. Of course it was. But also saying about how they like were very fun, I noticed, so you send me them in a list and I know you send me them, I think I've worked out now, you send me them from like the earliest release to the latest release. Yeah. So from tomorrow's and it was something in brackets. Oh, tomorrow and then ju- just another day. Tomorrow's just another day, yeah. Yeah. Which was a double A side with Madness. Didn't like Madness. From the tomorrow's just another day and the rest of them, they seemed to change in sound, like they mellowed out a little bit. And I don't know, that might have been following what was coming out at the time, whether, because that was after It Must Be Love. Possibly, yeah. Because you've got to think as well, we've also said about how Spandau Ballet changed and actually become yeah. more successful with those the trues and the golds, which are more soulful rather than their earlier hits. And I suppose the same with Manis, although unfortunately their hits were actually more the earlier ones. 
Mm. But I guess because you've spoken about Spandau and how they change their sound, I think I'm noticing things more as well. So I think I just noticed that they mellowed out a little bit and I was like, oh, what's happened to their upbeatness? That's what they're about in my head. Yeah. I mean, my favourite is actually the one that was released literally after Tomorrow's Just Another Day, which is Wings of a Dove. Didn't like that one. No? No, I weren't a fan. Got, got to number two. Well, not in my head. Um, <laughs> I think the ones after Tomorrow's Just Another Day, they were the ones that hit on my dislike list. But I think it's because I was expecting them to be more upbeat. And from what I know of Madness, when you've got House of Fun and baggy trousers, that's what I want. You know, the ones that I've heard of. Drive in my car. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think when it changed a bit, I think they're the ones that went down a bit. Although I did like Sweetest Girl. There was a couple on there. Okay. What I'll do then before we move on is I'll just go through their 21, was it, hits? Yeah. And where they actually came, and you'll find out where the number one is. As I say, 1979, they had one set beyond at number seven. So coming into the 80s, they already had a top 10 hit. So 1980, My Girl, number three. Also in 1980, Night Boat to Cairo, number six. That had a weird video. Did you notice on the videos how they have a funny start to them all, like a, a little prequel, like a joke thing? Yeah, it's like a little introduction. Yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah. where they talk to the camera. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like, is this, is this all of it? I, don't I think really... it's just like a signature of theirs. And again, it just shows the sort of band that they were. They just didn't take themselves seriously, I suppose. Yeah, which goes into me staying there fun, yeah. you know, if they're just having a laugh. 1980 again, Baggy Trousers, number three. 1980, still, still in 1980, Embarrassment, number four. So you can see already, we're four songs in and three of them are top five. And this is as early as the 80s. Yeah. Um, 1981, The Return of Los Palmas, seven, got to number seven. 1981 again, Grey Day, number four. 1981, Shut Up, number seven. 1981, It Must Be Love, number four. 1982, Cardiac Arrest, number 14. So that's their first outside the top 10 1982 again house of fun number one ah got it wrong but it had to be one of the three that i knew 1982 drive in my car number four 1982 our house number five so now we're going into what you say are the much slower ones. So 1983, this is now we're going into. So as I say, between 80 and 82 is probably their biggest hits. Yeah. I suppose they've hit their peak. So we're now coming down the slope. So Tomorrow's Just Another Day and Madness is all in the mind, or Madness as it's known, got to number eight. So still top 10. Wings of a Dove, as I say, that's probably my favourite, 1983. And that's number two. It's still, when I say they're over their peak, I think it's after the next one, it, it goes down. So 1983, The Sun and the Rain, number five. 1984, Michael Caine, number 11. 1984, again, One Better Day, number 17. 1985, Yesterday's Men, number 18. 1985, Uncle Sam, as you've spoke earlier about, number 21. So that's, what, the first hit, Outside the twenty. 1986, Sweetest Girl, number 35. And then 1986, The Ghost Train, or Waiting for the Ghost Train, number 18. So not too bad. They've only had two out of the top 20? Yeah, Uncle Sam and Sweetest Girl. Two out of the top 20. And I think, yeah, I don't think you can call that... I I don't know. Did they ever have a peak? They just were up there the whole time. I think 1982, obviously, with House of Fun when they were number one, and then following that up with Driving My Car and Our House, I think that was probably their five minutes in the British record charts as a top band, I would say. And I suppose that was they were on the back of It Must Be Love as well, which was still a big hit, even though it was a cover. That probably, more than anything, got them noticed. And then, obviously, then they released um, House of Fun, which, obviously, yeah, number one. They've not done too bad, though. Like, I think they're the first ones that, like, they've not had any even 25... Wait, was Sweetest Girl 26, did you say? 35. Oh, yeah, that's the furthest away. But still, only to have one, and their other one was only 21. That was out of the top 20. So it's not not that bad. They can't really complain. No, not at all. The other thing I noticed with it, which I didn't know, because I'll be honest, I've always thought that Suggs was 
He's obviously seen as the, um, as, as I suppose with all vocalists, you know, Spandau Ballet, Tony Hadley, you don't, even though Gary Kemp was the brains and the songwriter, people just automatically think of Tony Hadley when they think of Spandau Ballet. Same with um, Simon Le Bon with Duran Duran. You automatically think the vocalist. And I suppose that's how I am with Madness. I wouldn't really even know the names of the others, to be honest, until I'd done this research. But I've always, I suppose, because he's the main speaker when they do interviews, he's always the front man of them. I automatically thought he was the main songwriter, which he isn't. The principal songwriter is actually Mike Barson. But they do seem to spread it around. So, I mean, going through the top five, you know, we've still got 10 songs here. My Girl was written by Mike Barson. That got to number three. Baggy Trousers, which also got to number three. That was written by Foreman, the guitarist. And McPherson, or Suggs. Embarrassment, again, was Mike Barson. Same as Grey Day. As I say, It Must Be Love was a cover. House of Fun was Barson and Thompson. So Thompson's the saxophone player. Driving My Car was Barson. Our House was Foreman and Smythe. He was the, the trumpet player. Wings of the Dove was McPherson or Suggs and Smythe. So Smythe's written two. Suggs has written two. Foreman's written two, as well as Barson. Obviously, Thompson wrote the other. And then The Sun and the Rain was also Mike Barson. So Barson, the principal songwriter, but you can see that the others all had, apart from Woodgate and Bedford, the others all had a hand in the other ones. So they really, everyone had a go. Yeah. So I think that's how bands should be. Like, if you're all good at it and you've all got a little bit of passion about doing it and like doing it, you should all have a little go. At least then you're not going to have the argument like Mr. Gary Kemp and getting on your high horse about it all. I quite like that. And you wouldn't think they're written by all the others because... They all sound similar. So they obviously all knew their sound, knew what direction they wanted to go in. Exactly. So, yeah. Just going back, you said about Gary Kemp on his eye. It was Gary Kemp that was a songwriter. Yeah. It was the others that took him to court because they weren't getting the percentage that they felt they should. Yeah, but he was still all on his high horse. Like, I'm the songwriter. I'll get my percentage. I don't really care. If you've written a song, surely that's yours, isn't it? But I suppose the argument they had was that they yeah, also done the, the music side. But... Yeah. There we go. We'll move on. The specials. What did you think of them? Not a lot, to be honest. I say not a lot. I've written a lot. But (laughs) they were just a bit... The first thing I thought was... So this is listening to Too Much Too Young. First one, straight in there. They sing it fast. They're very shouting a bit. Like it's more talking and getting something across. It's like they've got passion in there. And some of the songs come across a bit creepy bit dark i'm like do the songs have a deeper meaning because they're so dark but i can't work them out so they are known as protest songs so they are a protest group right so i mean so you've mentioned too much too young that was around teenage pregnancies that makes sense yeah because i was listening to the lyrics i was like i don't want to think too much into the lyrics but obviously the lyrics mean something in some songs and other songs they could just be just because Yeah, so the rat race, that's about privileged students pissing it up in college, knowing that daddy will get them a job anyway, no matter what. Uh, I wrote rat race about work with a question mark, so that far off. So, yeah, and then Ghost Town is about the urban decay, unemployment, the deindustrialization, and violence in inner cities. Ah, so I watched that video for ghost town it was just showing like loads of buildings it was very like gray so that might explain that video then so it's just saying about how the town cities have just gone into decay shops and what have you and if you think about it it's no different than how yeah um, as shops are closing and nothing's going into towns but it's more now it's because of the out obviously people obviously shopping online anyway but obviously out of city like shopping centers and might be like up, up your way with the trafford center rather than people going to the actual town centers and i suppose now even i mean ghost town was from 1981 and we're now in 2021 nothing still could be saying the same but yeah so that that's what then and then obviously you know free nelson mandela you know your anti-apartheid I think that was the only one that I was like, okay, this has got to be about Nelson Mandela. They're literally saying. Also, you've got to think in the 80s, Margaret Thatcher was in power 
And there was a lot of upheaval, especially in the Midlands and North, with job losses and that. When they released Do Nothing, they had it as a double A side with Maggie's Farm, which was actually a Bob Dylan song. But they released that with it. And I suppose that's, again, you could look at that as, is that a dig at Maggie and her cabinet? So Maggie's Farm. So again, that's that could have well been another. But even though that wasn't, that was, a, as I say, a Bob Dylan cover. But why did they go with that one? Yeah, they obviously went for it for a reason. So the reason I chose Nelson Mandela as my favourite was because this one was hard. Like I say, a lot of them were deep and dark. And now I understand why, you know, they were getting points across. They were like angry about things or had passion, like I said. But the Nelson Mandela one was more uplifting. As much as it's not about an uplifting and joyful time in life, the actual song was like very joyful, ignoring the lyrics. And I also liked the concept because it was like a bit of education. But now I guess if you look into the other, if I looked deeper into the others, all of them could have been a bit educating and giving some sense of opinion and like whatever was going on at that time across. But yeah, they were an odd group and just quite dark, maybe a bit too dark. But what I did notice, so obviously then I watched the videos and they're the first group, they've got diversity in their group. Yeah, so this is where I'm on about the two-tone label. Right. So their founder, a Jerry Adamas, he also set up his own record label, which is called Two-Tone, which is what Madness were originally on until, yeah. as I say, the skinheads and that David obviously then... Took that away from them. So he formed it, and they were a ska band with a mod background. So they, again, come from the 70s. They were formed in 1977. So okay. they're more like of a big band. So you've got Jerry Damas, who formed them. He was keyboards and he was the principal songwriter. You had Linval Golding on vocals and rhythm guitar. You had Horace Panter, the bass guitar. Terry Hall was also a vocalist and a songwriter. Silverton Hutchinson, he was drums, but he was drums from 77 to 79. So he was before the 80s and these songs. And then it was John Bradbury. Neville Staple was another vocalist, so they had more than one vocalist. And he was also percussion. You had Rico Rodriguez, he was on the trombone. And you had Dick Cuffnell on the horn. So you've got different musics here. So you were, obviously with Madness, you had trumpet, which we hadn't had up till now. And we've got trombone and horn with the, the specials. And they're actually formed and come from Coventry. They're actually first originally known as the Coventry Automatics. Oh, so another one that's changed their name. Yeah, and then they changed and become the specials. And they're also known as the special AKA as well. But they're mainly known as the specials. So, as you say, they were multiracial promoting. Because Birmingham was a big Caribbean city. Obviously, Coventry is from that area as well. So they promoted that side of it. And as I say, they even had the two-tone record label, which they formed as in through Jerry Dammers. They had two albums in the 1980s. So how do you think they done with the number ones? Well, I wanted to say they didn't get any, but only because I didn't really like them. And I feel like now also, now you've said that they were like a protest, like an activist group. I'm like, would, would they have really been top tens? Because it would have been only certain people would have agreed with what they were saying. It would have been very Marmite. You either like them and agree or you don't like them. You don't agree and you just leave it at that. So I can't see them getting any number ones. No. So obviously that tells you that there's the undertones have got two number ones. I can get down with that. So who would you think the two number ones are from the undertones? Teenage Picks and My Perfect Cousin. Okay. So um, the specials, just so you know, they had two number ones. No, I don't agree with that. Well. But maybe it's because also you've got to think I've grown up in this generation and you say an activist, the only person that I can relate them to nowadays is someone that won't, I don't think he's ever been in the top 40, but there's a guy called Akala and he sings songs that are very, maybe not as deep as going political, or maybe he does. Like, I can't think of what ones he's done and how deep he goes, but he's someone more of an activist. It's very taboo, isn't it? You've got to be a people pleaser to get into the charts. You've got to please everyone. You need to have at least a, a big following, I suppose. Or a, not a big following, but or a song, I suppose, as we touched on with Martha and the Muffins, a song that everyone, oh, I like that, and goes out and obviously went and bought it. So, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so, and I wouldn't have thought these would have been down that route. Like I say, they are very dark. It's not something that you'd want to hear on your radio, but apparently people did. But maybe at the time, people agreed with what they were saying. Mm, that's what I mean by also times have changed, haven't they? So yeah. what would be taboo when you wouldn't really release something or if you did release it, you'd have your following and you need to know about them rather than it being in a chance. Sure. So as I say, even their first song, which was a reworking of Al Capone by this Prince Buster that they were obviously inspired by the same as Madness were, their song was Gangsters. So again, you know, quite a weird named song. Mm. Although Al Capone, obviously, which is what it's on, was it was a gangster himself. So, But that was in 1979. So they formed in 1977. Their first hit was Gangsters, 1979, number six. Okay. And then their second one, which was also in 1979, was A Message to You, Rudy. And that got to number 10. So their first two songs were already both in the top 10. So, you know, when I say they've had two number ones, and it may be that is where, again, it's a change of what the music was back then compared to what you're used to or like now. Mm. I'm trying to work out what the two number ones would be. Yeah. Really thrown me. Like, I just wouldn't expect these to be the number ones. I, I could probably get down with one, but how are they having more number ones than the likes of Madness <laughs> just did amazing and were more like people pleasers because their songs are still big now. Never heard of these. Their songs are just a bit dark and a bit deep and they just talk about things that are a bit taboo. Like, what were you guys into back then? Well, as you said, the music's changed as well from other songs. So put these up against the soft cell, you know, this music is totally different. Yeah, they won't get on. Complete <laughs> other side of the spectrum, really. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying about the 80s. There was music for it. If you didn't like that, there was pretty much something else you would like. And the fact that, you know, like Madness, as you say, they sort of changed their style of music. And obviously, if we've already hit on with Spandau Ballet, you know, even they sort of changed with the times as they saw what people were buying. Maybe people went off the electro early, mid-80s, and then come the later 80s, it was more soulful. Yeah. You know, and you had the bands like Johnny Hates Jazz and Level 42, which were, when we get to them, more of that sort of music. Okay. I guess things have got to change. I mean, look at what we're listening to, well, you wouldn't know, but what you hear now isn't anything like this either. No. Just to put into perspective with their songs, so they've had two number ones. We just said about in 1979, they had two releases and both of them were in the top ten. The specials split as a group in 1981, and then they were actually disbanded in 1984. Oh, so they didn't last long at all? No. So three of the band left, which was Linville Golden, Terry Hall, the vocalist, and Neville Staple, and they went and formed Fun Boy 3. Don't know who that is. So Fun Boy 3, we'll obviously touch when we get to Fun Boy 3 in a later episode, but they put banana rama's career where it is so you must have heard you've heard of banana rama yeah 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 so probably the biggest girls group of the 80s fun boy three were the band that put them on the map right okay and fun boy three's roots are with the specials okay but if you listen to the songs of banana rama and fun boy three compared to the specials totally different so i take it these three guys left and were like you know what add enough singing about real life let's have a bit of fun yeah, so Terry Hall is white, Neville Staple and Linville Golding are black. So whether they didn't like the route that the specials were going with the protest songs, I don't know. But they went off, they formed Fun Boy 3. And then Jerry Dammers and the others carried on with the specials or the special AKA. And then Dammers, who was obviously the founding person, he disbanded the band and he pursued political activism. Oh, so he was really passionate now, the funny thing is, it was his band, and he was the one who then said, right, we're disbanding them now. They reformed in 1993, so even the three, the Fun Boy 3 came back and they reformed. They still perform with various lineups. However, Jerry Dammers, the founder, has never been involved. So when they've reformed, everyone's sort of come back but him. And they even had a 30th anniversary tour, and Dammers wasn't invited, wasn't part of it. So I wonder whether he went a bit too into it. Well, I've read up and Terry Hall has claimed the door is always open. Jerry Dammers has done a counter statement, literally saying um, he had been driven out and how the prodigal sons came home and kicked him out and uh, the door isn't open. So he's saying that the Fun Boy 3, 3 came back as the prodigal sons 
and they sort of took over, even though it disbanded the group anyway by then, because this is 1993, they haven't released anything since 1984. That makes me wonder whether that was around all the protests and the fact that he left to pursue political activism. Was it because of his political stance and what have you? Is that why they left and when they come back, they still didn't obviously include him? I don't know. That's just reading between the lines. But as the principal songwriter, he'd have written, unlike with Madness, because I was just shocked that Suggs wasn't the principal songwriter. I haven't looked who actually wrote them, but I would probably guess that Ghost Town, Too Much Too Young, those political songs with a message behind them were probably written by Dammers. Yeah, definitely. So I will now go through their songs. Obviously there's not as many as, as Madness. You only had seven from the top 40. Nine? There's Yes, nine, nine songs, but two of them were A-sides. So there's two double A-sides. So they would have only had one chart placing. It's because I can listen to them separately. So it's in my head, they're separate songs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've already said that in 1979, their first two songs were both in the top 10. So then they're coming on the back of those. So 1980, Too Much Too Young, number one. Okay, I can get with that. That's fine. I like that one. So 1980, a double A side of The Rat Race and Rude Boys Out of Jail, number five. 1980, another double A side, Stereotype, an international jet set, number six. 1980, another double A side, as I say, Do Nothing and the cover of Bob Dylan's Maggie's Farm. That got to number four. 1981, so this is literally the last song before the Fun Boy 3 3 went off, which was Ghost Town, number one. Oh, okay. I was really hoping it was going to be Nelson Mandela. <laughs> I just didn't like Ghost Town. 1982, The Boiler, um, which is the first song that was a top 40 hit, that with new lineup or the, the lesser lineup, was The Boiler. That was number 35. That's a very uncomfortable one. So, yeah, that's about right. So, we'll move on. And then 1984, which was their last hit before the group was disbanded, was Nelson Mandela. And that got to number nine. So, it's in the top 10. Okay. Okay. They've done well for themselves. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It was in a time when there was a lot of upheaval, a lot of troubles in the country, and they, I suppose, fed off of that, in a sense. Maybe, it, like, for people that were listening to it, they felt a bit of... We can relate to what they're saying, what they're singing about. Yeah, like, oh, thank goodness someone's saying it. I get it, but I guess it shows how the times have changed. Like I say, we have got a Carlo and there's probably a lot more. Like if you look up a Carlo, you'll be able to see the songs that he's releasing could probably be down the same route as the specials, but he doesn't get in the charts. So it shows the difference that people are listening to him. Like Scott's been to see a Carla, but you wouldn't find him in the big venues. Okay. So moving on then to the undertones, who you now know never had a number one. I'm a bit disappointed, to be honest. Not going to lie. It's a bit sad. These were the ones that I was like, I enjoyed it. Like, I didn't have to listen twice. Like, the madness didn't get into until I listened to the second time. The specials were just kind of like, you're weird. And this one was like, okay, I'm loving it. Especially because you start off with Teenage Kicks, and I know that song, and you, it's very upbeat. So just, I put Teenage Kicks in there. It's actually from 1978. Ooh, look at you, blooming cheating again. However, it only got to number 31. You're joking. No. The reason I brought it in is in 1983, they reissued it. Okay. Did it do better then? And then they reissued it again in 1994. So that's why I really, really know it then. However, it never done any better than the very first release, which got to number 31. No! In 1983, it peaked at number 60. And in 1994, it peaked at number... 91. You're joking. How's it so big to the point that I know it then? Like, I still weren't born in 94. I put it in there because it was released in 1983, although it wasn't a hit, but it had been a hit in 1978. And it is a, I think, a good song for whatever reason. It's one of those that didn't have the right promotion or whatever. I don't know. As I say, even the two reissues have not hit the heights of the top 40. That's mad. Because I know that one. You'd expect me not to know it if it did so rubbish. 
Like, how is it so big? I bet if it got re-released now, it'd probably hit in the charts because everyone'd be like, I know that one, I'll download that one. <laughs> I bet we'll do better now. If they can hear me, re-release it now and you'll do better. That's crazy. So um, the undertones were formed in 1974. But they didn't have many hits in the 80s. No. So they were formed in 1974 and they disbanded by 1983. Ah, I wrote down were they short-lived because I've only got four. And if you think about it, technically there's only three in the 80s with you revealing about teenage kicks. Yeah. But what I did think was they looked like they were teenagers. So is that why they were short-lived? Because they look like the youngest group I've seen. They may well. So Northern Ireland's not known for its musical side of it. You know, I mean, if you think of Ireland, you think of folk songs. I mean, Southern Ireland is where U2 came from. Is that where they come from? I don't know they were Irish. Boomtown Rats, Thin Lizzy. So they were from Southern Ireland. But the undertones are from Northern Ireland. And they're probably even now still the most successful group from Northern Ireland. I don't think there's been, I can't think of one, and I've looked up other groups from Northern Ireland and I don't recognise any. Oh, you say, no, I was like, hang on, aren't you two bigger than these? They're not. Yeah, but they're from Southern Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't process it. So that's what I'm saying. Boomtown Rats, Thin Lizzy before them, and then you two were from Southern Ireland. But then you say they're the biggest from then. It's like, well, I've not heard of the Undertones. I've only heard of Teenage Kings. Well, they're the most successful from Northern Ireland, and they still are. So before them was them, a group called Them, <laughs> whose lead singer was Van Morrison. Have you heard of Van Morrison? No. No, okay. Well, they were from the 60s, and they were the biggest group up till then. And then the Troubles started, and then after the Troubles, so obviously the IRA and all the Bloody Sunday, which obviously, um, funny enough, is a song of U2s, they came out. So where was them and other groups at the times before that were from Belfast. The undertones are from the border. They're like to the west, northwest of Northern Ireland, that little bit at the top there where the, the you've got a bit of Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland from a place called Londonderry. They don't really call it Londonderry now because of the London part of it. They call it Derry. They're from there. Okay. So they were formed and literally following the troubles in Ireland, as I say, they are still probably the biggest and most successful band to come out of the country. I liked them though. Like even though they were short-lived, you know, I liked it. Like I say, they seemed like they were young, like they were in their teens. It seemed like they were just having a bit of fun. And do you know what I liked about their music? I don't know if this will sound weird, but it gave me a beach feeling. Like you could be on the beach and playing their music on a speaker and just having a bit of a nice laugh. Like, I don't know, very joyful, very happy. So there you go. If you're wondering where I'm going to listen to them, we the beach. Uh, and again, they're like madness. They didn't have a principal songwriter. Okay. So Teenage Kicks was written by John O'Neill. My perfect cousin was Damien O'Neill and Michael Bradley. And then it's going to happen was Damien and O'Neill and Michael Bradley again. So, all right, I suppose Teenage Kicks is their, their most probably known song, although it wasn't their biggest hit. And that was written by someone, John O'Neill, which is different from the others. So their group consisted of Fergal Sharkey on vocals, who went on to have a number one himself as a soloist. But we'll, we'll obviously touch on him at a later time, but he was in another group, which we will mention later on as well. John O'Neill was rhythm guitar. Damien O'Neill, I don't know if they're related. I'm guessing they're brothers, but I don't know, was lead guitar. And then Michael Bradley on bass and Billy Doherty on drums. They had three albums in the 80s, only one top 10 hit. And as I say, in 1983, the band disbanded due to the record label EMI being unhappy with a lack of chart success, plus internal tensions between Fergal Sharkey and John O'Neill. Eventually, Sharkey left, citing musical differences with O'Neill. Right. Oh, see, these people don't like to get on them. No. So as I say, they were punk, glam, rock, and then their last album was, was seen as a more soul Motown. So whether the music changed, some of them wanted to go that direction and others didn't, I don't know. So I'm guessing when they say musical differences, it was in the direction they were either heading to. Some wanted, yeah, some agreed with it. Obviously, others didn't, and they disbanded. Yeah. And Fergal Sharkey went on to be a solo singer, but he did have some other time in another band called The Assembly, which we will go on to in another episode. I did like them. Like I say, they looked young, and it, like their music was fun. And in the videos, 
this sounds weird. They look like what I picture you looking like. Cheers. <laughs> all right. The casual wear, like they all looked like individuals. They weren't clones like madness. They weren't too formal. Just a bit of fun. That I think that's why I liked them. Uh huh. Okay. So they're free songs because we've obviously now said Teenage Kicks was outside. We already know that that got to number thirty-one. So nineteen eighty, my perfect cousin, number nine. So that was their their top ten hit. 1980 as well, Wednesday week, number 11. So just outside the top 10. And then my actual, my favourite, 1981, it's going to happen, number 18. So that, to be fair, that's not bad. They're all top no. 20. Like, yeah. considering they didn't have that many, at least they got down that end. But when you think they've had three albums, mm-hmm. I've only listed the songs that are hits. So how many other releases did they have that didn't actually break into the top 40, you know? And when we've said that Teenage Kick, you know, when it was redone in 1983, which is when they would have been even better known, it's still only number 60. So, okay. Right, um, Dad, before we move on, I've just seen, I didn't mention, but in My Perfect Cousin, they actually, in one of the lyrics, they mention Human League. Oh, really? Yeah. They're talking about their cousin, Kevin, I think his name is. And I think it's yeah. only like a lyric that says he listens to Human League or something. But I picked up on it and I was like, oh, that's someone that Dad's mentioned in previous episodes. And I was like, Human League must have been quite big. But I guess I'll find out. But I just thought it was something to mention because I quite like I heard it. Oh. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. So maybe they were because I, I was trying to look who the, all these people were influenced. As I say, other than the the reggae side of it for Madness and the specials with this um, Prince Buster, yeah, I couldn't find anything on the undertones. Obviously, Van Morrison would have been a big influence coming from Northern Ireland, yeah. Anyway, but maybe they were influenced by a bit of Human League, or maybe they were mentioning as in their cousin Kevin listening to that music, as in they don't like that music because obviously then certainly not electronic or anything like that it might be in that context that they were bringing up human league would have been a big synth pop group no we haven't touched on them yet but we soon will but yeah no, that's interesting yeah don't know what the relation is but i just thought it was quite cool that i found it okay so let's move on to hit or miss Yes. So only three, mainly because of the catalogue of madness using up your time. <laughs> Don't think I could have managed another one. No. But so, like I said, I did manage to listen to Madness twice. But it was more, it weren't me listening in my car. It was more me playing it and recapping. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, Madness and we'll start with. So the first time I listened to Madness, I was like, no, nope, don't like them. Going to be a miss. This is going to be a miss. But then when I've listened to them again, I put them as a hit because I do like a lot of their songs. The ones that I don't like, they can stay in my don't like. But I think they would hit, you know, they're fun. They're, like I said before, people pleasers. I think a lot of people would like them. I think they could work now, especially when, like I say, you're here in House of Fun, our house and baggy trousers. They've obviously stood the test of time and like they're still keeping their name alive. So I think they're a hit. The specials. I put a miss, nah, but not because like I obviously didn't know what they were singing about. So this is going off my opinion on me being I didn't really think too much into it. But I think they're a bit dark, bit too deep and dark, and that's why I think they're a miss. But now knowing as well what they're singing about, people would listen to them to find out what they're talking about. But you'd have to be interested. I don't think they'd hit a lot of people as well. So I think they'd still a miss even though I know what they're about as well. And then. The undertones, I put hit slash miss because they were obviously short-lived. There's not much to go by. I think they're a hit with me and I would listen to them. I do like them, but I don't think they're a hit in society, say, like the generation. I don't think they'd be a hit for anyone else. I think with me, yeah, but to fit in. So a a certain taste. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So hit slash miss. So not a bad week. Half and half. No, fair mind you only had three. And it was a complete change, complete change of genre as well. So it was a bit hard. I think because it was a complete change, it did take me a while to get into it. Like I say, with Madness, I was a bit like, oh, to begin with. So not too bad. I mean, Madness was nearly a miss. We could have had a nearly all miss week, to be honest. So you're lucky. Mm. Not had one yet. It'd have been quite something, though, because when we done two weeks ago with Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet, and obviously, if you'd said a miss for probably either of them, 
as I said, that would have been a bit worrying when they were the biggest groups. If I'm trying to educate you into or influence you into 80s music and you don't even like two of the biggest bands. And I suppose that's a bit like madness when I say, you know, they were an institution. They, they opened the Olympics. They sang at the Diamond Jubilee, as I spoke about. If you turned around and said, nah, I didn't like them. Again, they were a big part of the 80s music. I think it's good that those three bands who have at least been hits... Yeah. The same with obviously very back going back, you know, the very first week, Ultravox was the hit, which is one of the leading groups for the synth pop side of it. Again, you know, if they had been, not been a, a hit, it would have been a bit worrying for the rest. So I'm still confident as we get to the middle 80s. I mean, we are still talking 1980. We haven't moved out of the first year yet. We are still in those those very first one where the, the music hasn't really evolved. It's still evolving from coming out of the discos of the 70s. We are, until we're in the mid 80s, I don't think you can really say you've touched the proper 80s music. So yeah, to have... From three groups, only one miss, one in between, and one definite hit is, I think, we're still in the right direction with you, which is good. Yeah. I think also, you saying about like the Spandau Ballet, Duran Duran and Madness, and me obviously thinking they're a hit. I think like it's good that like it's going in the right direction that you're getting the big ones and I'm liking them. But also, last week with The Vapors, how... I'm surprising you as well, which while I'm on it, listen to their new album. They are definitely someone I will keep up to date with, I think. I do really like them. So just an update on my love for the Vapors now. I'm well and truly there. New album, great. Yeah, and also on that, I didn't realise as well, which obviously we never mentioned it last week, that they've actually bought out a new album. Together, They've got new music right now, current music which I didn't even look into or know about. You know, I just thought they were one-hit wonder, well, not one-hit wonder, but obviously turning Japanese. And uh, that was it, you know. But the fact that they've still got an album, obviously I looked into them as well, and I thought, why does she... (laughs) And yeah, they've they've actually got a current album. Yeah, it's good. I've liked them on Spotify, so I can get updates for anything else they release. There you go. So as much as, yeah, it's good that I'm liking the, like, big ones... You're also obviously educating me and I found a new band that I like. Yeah, which again, what they weren't big in the 80s. They're not on many compilation albums, so they're not something that you would necessarily come across. Exactly, so it's good you're educating me in some way, Dad. You're doing your job. Good. And they've actually, they are touring as well, I looked into. The Vapors are still going strong. Okay, so moving on then to next week. Go on. I'll be honest. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it. Oh, no. I mean, I've got to go into, obviously, I've, I can't just be selfish and, you know, otherwise you'd just be listening to Ahara, Erasure, Pet Shop Boys. Thank you, <laughs> you mean what I've listened to for like most of my life anyway? Yeah, yeah. But the music is, again, different next week. Right, okay. So, again, we're moving on even from this week's. Um, it's it's different. You've got four groups and they're they're not groups that, are my cup of tea if i'm honest but in amongst these groups you've got the group that opened live aid okay okay so are you ready yeah you have got next week status quo okay i've heard of them the clash heard of them squeeze nope and stray cats no okay so they're your four for next week so we're still in the 1980s so they had their first hit in the 1980s or, or before and they've carried on, but they had a hit in 1980. So still 1980. Yeah, not as it's sorry, 1980. We've still got a long, long way to go. But they're the four for next week. But it also shows if we're still in 1980, how vast of music there was. So you're going to have weeks that you don't like. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's as well as uh, how bands in the 80s carried on through the decade. Mm. So they didn't just release a couple of songs and then, oh, right, some have, like we obviously mentioned the, the, the undertones, but that's more they, the group disbanded, but others carried on. Yeah. But if you look at Spandau Ballet, Duran Duran, Madness, they were still going in, the, in the, later on in 1987, 88. They know, moved with the time. And, you know, we've even spoke Madness they were still going in, you said 2016, you know, and they still had a top 10 hit in 1999. So, but what I'm saying is, you know, groups coming out of the 80s or even the late 70s, 
were still so yeah even though we're still in 1980 that shows you how many groups had songs that were hits in 1980 which is why we haven't moved on yet and we won't be it's a good couple of weeks yet before we get to 1981 stick with us guys we're in it together (laughs) okay (laughs) i think this week's been good as i say it has shown you a different kind of music yeah like i say you're doing your job it's certainly different um, there's not many ska bands. Uh, reggae there is. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm interested in that. We've still got another big group from that. And uh, funny enough, from Birmingham as well. But we we haven't quite got to those yet. But other than that, enjoy next week's listening. I will. As I say, not my cup of tea, but that's not to say you might not like it. You've surprised me <laughs> previous weeks, as obviously like with the vapours. So um, we will see you next week. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Otherwise, I will I will say goodbye and look forward to uh, what you have to say. Yeah, I'll do my listening and I'll speak to you next week, Dad. Okay, see you. All right. Bye, Dad. Bye.